So we're going to be jumping into our story of Elijah. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of First Kings. First Kings. I know you guys know that book really well, right? You have it memorized. First Kings. We're going to be in chapter 17 today. Chapter 17. So you want to grab, go ahead and grab your Bible and flip there or a smartphone or whatever. We'll have um, the important verses up here. But because we're going to be covering a, a large story, actually a few different stories today, um, we won't look at every verse up here. So I encourage you guys to go back and read through the story on your own so you can make sure you get every word because it's all important. It's all important. So Elijah comes in a time that's very dark and very difficult. It was a time where politically things were not looking good. The country's outlook was bad. Economically, things were terrible, as we'll, we'll see here in a second. And, and what it demanded was for someone, anyone, to stand up and do something about it. Is someone going to stand up? Is someone going to act in this dark time to step up? And, and I think that's an important thing because sometimes in our personal lives or, or in a situation we're in or in our country, in our community, we realize, hey, Something needs to be done. Somebody has to stand up. So I think the book of Elijah is going to be great for all of us because it challenges us too, like Elijah stepped up for us to step up as well. And today, as we begin the story of Elijah about who he is, we're going to jump in and see who he is. But really, we're going to figure out how he was made into the man of God that he was. Because he's a really famous prophet. He's probably one of the most famous prophets. They talk about him. Jesus talked about him. Everybody's waiting for him to come back. There's a prophecy about a second Elijah to come. But Elijah was like the representative of what a man of God is. Of what someone is supposed to be, whether they're a man or a woman, how they are supposed to stand up and be a person of God. So that's what we're going to look at. How did Elijah become the man he was? How did he become that man of God? And how can we learn from him? So that's what our message is about today. So this is a kind of different type of message. You know, since I've been here, we've gone through the book of Galatians. We did a series through Proverbs, and then we also looked at some of the calls of Jesus. All of those things, you know, we kind of divided up these words. But, but today, we're, we're going to look at stories. And, and when you look at stories in the Bible, you know, God decided to talk to us in a lot of different ways. You read through the Bible, there's a lot of different types of literature, right? And, and stories, narratives, is one of the most important ways that God speaks. Probably 60 to 70% of the Bible is stories. So I say that because God speaks to us differently, so my message is going to be a little different. If you look in the bulletin there, there's not going to be a lot of fill-in-the-blank stuff, like I usually do. Because if God decides to talk to us differently, I'm going to try to talk to you guys differently too, because these stories is how we get attention. In a story, a lot of times, you don't understand what the story's all about until the end, and that's how this story is today. Why these things are happening to Elijah, and that's a good question of why that we should be asking throughout our message today. Why, why, why? And in our lives, sometimes we ask why, like when we're having those difficult times. Well, why is this happening? What is going on here? Why did this happen to me? So these are the same things that Elijah is dealing with. Okay, so we're going to go through chapter 17 today, but I want you to jump back to chapter 16, verse 29, so we get a little bit of the setting of what is going on here. So in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 16 of 1 Kings, we read, In the 38th year of King Asa of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did, get this, more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Hmm, that sounds great, right? Great said. So Ahab has now become king, and he's ruling in Samaria over Israel, and he did more evil than any of the kings before him. Now, I want to explain a little bit about what's going on here, because some of us are like, Matt, I don't really remember what's happening in First Kings from Sunday school, or Matt, I never knew. 
I never I have no clue how the Bible fits together. So I want to show you this little timeline so we see what's going on here. Okay, in, in the Bible, if you want to look at a big scheme of things, in the book of Genesis, of course, we're introduced to Abraham, and that's the age of the patriarchs, right? These patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're the fathers of our faith. So we call them the patriarchs. And then they went into Egypt during a time of famine, and while they were there, things were good at first, and then they entered into captivity, right? They were enslaved by the Egyptians. Finally, they escaped there, and they wandered around the until they got to the promised land. And that was the time of Judges. The book of Judges is there. And this was when there were 12 tribes and they weren't really united. So whenever there was a threat to the people there, one of the judges or champions would step up and fight the enemies, right? So that's the time of Judges. And then the kingdom was united, first under Saul and then under David and Solomon. So that's the united kingdom. So if you've heard of that, that was when all these tribes finally came together and formed a nation. Things didn't last very long like that. It was a very actually short time period. The golden age of Israel was this United Kingdom. And then they were divided. And that's where we're going to be looking at today. And after the divided kingdom, I'll talk about that in just a second, they were taken into exile as they were captured by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and t- people taken into exile away from Israel. And finally they returned 400 years later to Jesus' came. So now you guys know everything about the Bible. That's great. Uh, so this next slide, we'll see that King Ahab comes in the middle of this divided kingdom. So what happened was the northern ten tribes of Israel split off from the southern two tribes. They couldn't decide on who would be the king after Solomon, so it split the nation. A civil war to never be united again. And Israel was the name of the the northern ten tribes, and Judah was the name of the southern two tribes. So what's going to take place in these stories is in Israel, the northern ten tribes. They're also called Samaria. Samaritans, if you know that from the New Testament, the good Samaritan... That's these northern ten tribes. They were separated from the rest of the nation, Judah and northern Israel. So we have already this separate nation. Things are not good nationally for God's people. But also Ahab becomes king. And it's like it says, Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord. God did not like Ahab. Ahab was not a good king. He reigned for 22 years in the northern ten tribes. And what he did, not only had he come in a long line of bad kings, bad rulers of his nation... But he married a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was actually from another nation that's going to come up later in our story, from Sidon, in the north. So a completely separate nation. And God had said, you know, especially for the leaders, you can't marry outside the nation because these are God's people. And it turned out really bad because Jezebel hated God's people. She hated God's people and would murder them. Anytime she found anybody who belonged to this God Yahweh in Israel and Judah... She would kill them. People were in hiding, as we'll see next week, because they were afraid that she would kill them. And Ahab just let her. In fact, Ahab joined in her with the worship not of God, the one God, but of the God Baal. This is God Baal. And it was bad. So they were killing God's people. It was very dark time. A lot of evil was done as God's people were murdered by one of the leaders of the nation. And that is the time period when Elijah shows up, when things are not looking good, when people didn't like the leader in power in the nation. Things weren't looking good. And in chapter 17, verse 1, we pick it up. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. So this is the very first time he comes on the scene. Notice how it doesn't say Elijah the prophet. It says, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, 
As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he's going right into probably the capital in Samaria, talking to this king Ahab, and he says, Hey, there is going to be a drought on this land. This man shows up out of nowhere. He says, God is saying, hey, no, 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 we're going to have a drought. Now, I think this is interesting because if, if I were reading this for the first time and you realize that there's the most evil king there ever has been in Israel, it's time for God to do something, right? He's going he's gonna to have to do something, right? So he says, Elijah, all right, the conquering hero. So right after this, they battle it out. Right? Is that what happens next? No. It, you expect this showdown between the servant of God who's finally brave enough to go confront Ahab and face all the evil that's going on in the nation. And there is no showdown. He says, yeah, there's going to be a drought for the next three years. It would be three and a half years all told. But look what happens in verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He doesn't say fight him. He doesn't say go up and make sure we end this king forever. No, he says leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, we should be asking why. Why God, would God bring this prophet to show down with the king? And then all of a sudden he says, now go hide. And notice where he says to go hide. He says, go east of the Jordan. I have a map here so you can see this because we don't really... All know Middle Eastern geography. But, so Samaria was right there in the middle of Israel, and that's probably where he confronts the king. And then God says, okay, now go east to the Kerry Ravine. Why this is so important, why I want you to see the map, is because this is now a time of drought. Remember, God had just said through Elijah there won't be rain or dew for three plus years. And the Middle East is already pretty hot and deserty. So now, God is saying, I want you to go farther and farther into the desert. I want you to go into the desert east. Because there was water that would come from the Mediterranean. That's how rain would come. So it was a lot more fertile. That's where all the farming took place in Israel. In the west, right? Along the coast. That's the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. But God says, no, no, no. Don't stay here. Go out into the desert, into a ravine. And you know what happens in the desert when there's these ravines? Yeah, there might be a little creek, like it says, a brook coming through there that God says you're going to drink from. But what happens in the desert? When there's a drought, the water dries up. So God said, hey, I know you said there's going to be a drought. I know things are really bad, but I want you to go farther into the desert where there will be no water and there's just going to be a little brook and uh, good luck. What do you think Elijah was thinking at that point? What do you think Elijah was thinking at that point? Why would I go? You, you know, it's really interesting. That word karit in the Hebrew means cut off. <laughs> He's like, I want you to go to this valley where you're going to be literally cut off. By yourself, alone, man, that's tough. You see, I think this is important because sometimes in our lives, when things are going bad, all of a sudden God makes things even worse. He, he says, no, 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 I, I want you to go to this even harder situation. It's going to be even harder for you. It's going to be a drought. You're going to be thirsty. But he said, hey, when you're there, God said this, I'm going to give you a brook that won't dry up. And I'm going to give you ravens to feed you. 
This is kind of an echo of what happened when the Israelites were wandering around the promised land, right? Birds fed them there. And now all of a sudden they go out, Elijah goes out there, and we pick it up again in verse 5. It, it says that Elijah did what God told him to do. Okay, yeah, things are bad, but God, I'll go into the desert. You told me to. You told me to, so I'll do this. I'll go into this more difficult situation. I'll go out there, and I'll be hungry, and I'll be thirsty, because you told me. And guess what happened? There was a brook, so we always have water to drink. And the ravens literally brought him bread and meat every morning and every evening. You can't imagine that. Okay, it says they brought him meat. This wasn't like the, there was ravens and picking up some rats and carrying them. No, no, no. He was getting supplied by God with all the water, all the bread, all the food he needed. This is amazing. This is amazing. Because God provided everything he needed, even when he had sent Elijah into this more difficult situation. I heard this story about um, a poor woman... And she lived in a, a tiny apartment where the walls, of course, were very thin. And every day she would pray on her knees, very loudly. She would say, God, please supply the, the food I need today, every mo- all the money I need today. And, and then she would go out and she would come home every evening and she'd pray really loud, thanking God for providing for her. This happened day in and day out. Well, the walls were very thin, so her neighbor, who was an atheist, overheard her. He got pretty annoyed at this point. Always praying and thanking God so loudly every evening and praying in the morning. This atheist is so angry. And so one morning, he heard this, this poor woman say, God, I have no money left. I have nothing. I have no food in the fridge. God, give me something today. God, give me something. And the atheist was like, come, I'm going to show her. So he went out and bought a whole bunch of groceries, bags and bags of groceries. And he left them at her doorstep. He's like, I'm going to show her that this God is not that good. She comes home that evening, and she is so loud, louder than she's ever before. God, thank you so much for giving me these groceries. Thank you so much. God, you are an amazing God. And the atheist jumps out of his door and says, Ha! I got you. God didn't provide you that food. I did. I went and bought all that food at the grocery store. Ha! There is no God, and he is not good. And then she said, God, thank you so much for providing me this food and making the devil pay for it. (laughs) You know, the thing is that God supplies our needs sometimes in bizarre ways, right? In bizarre ways. And that's what he did here with Elijah. But he said, hey, I have food for you. I will supply every need you have. You know, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Sometimes it's like, what am I going to do today? Can I make it through today? And God can provide for us. What we need that day. In fact, in Matthew 6, 31, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's a God who's able to give you your daily bread. Now, I remember once when I was in college, and it was the first time I was really on my own, and I had read for the first time my sophomore year of college, and I, you know, we rented this room with a bunch of guys in a big house. And I was working at the dorms, and, and, and when you're just starting out, you're going paycheck to paycheck. Some of you guys are going paycheck to paycheck right now, and you know what I'm talking about. And, okay, I'm just paying rent every month, barely getting by to pay the bills. And I remember I was working in the dorm cafeteria, 
was good because I got to eat for free. <laughs> it was great. I was making money, paying my bills, I got to eat for free. But the problem was, over Christmas break, a whole month, the dorm was shut down. So I had no job. And I had been living paycheck to paycheck. I hadn't planned ahead. I, you know, I was new at this. I hadn't figured out what I was going to do. So I realized I would need, I calculated out, I would need $600 to make it through this month. And I had zero. So I remember praying, God, give me $600. I literally wrote it down in my journal. I said, God, give me $600. I need it, please. And I didn't tell anybody about this. Well, about a week later, my uncle calls me, and he lives out in California, had, an, had his own business, and he said, hey, Matt, um, do you want to come out this Christmas break? I know you got a month off. I hadn't told anybody. And I'll, I'll pay you to come out. I'll fly you out, and I'll pay you. I have some stuff that I need you to do for my business. So I said, of course. Of course, thank you for the job. That's great. So I went out there. I didn't tell him the number I needed, the $600. So I went out there, and I worked for a month. I never spoke to him at all about how much I needed or anything. At the end of the time there, he hands me a check and he says, well, thanks so much for helping me this last month. It was really helpful. $700. And I was like, wow. God gave me more than I needed, you know? Because God is that good. That good. He supplies what we need, right? That's what Elijah learned here with ravens. And if that's where it ended, that would be a fun story, wouldn't it? But things... Don't get easier for Elijah. In fact, they get a little bit harder. Let's look in verse 7. It says, Sometime later, the brook dried up. So it happens in the desert, right? The brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Okay, so Elijah then now had everything he needed there in the ravine. He was cut off, but hey, he had water, he had food, and now that thing that he's been relying on is gone. God took it away. And to make it even harder, God says, okay, now I want you to go into enemy territory, into Sidon. There's no people of God there. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to make it even harder for you because I'm going to make a widow supply you. Now, if you know anything about Widows, they're on a fixed income, if that. And in a time of drought that would have taken place in the land, things would have been really bad, especially for widows. If there was hardly any food. I mean, we don't really understand this because when we think of a drought, we think of, oh, I might not have to water my lawn, or I might not be able to water it three times a week, you know. Water restrictions for our lawn, that's what we think about, right? But a drought in the Middle East, especially in this time period, would mean that nothing could grow. There would be no food. It would be like today if you went to the grocery store and there was no food. There was no food anywhere to stand. You went to go um, fill up your gas and there was no gasoline. I mean, this is like zombie apocalypse stuff. People are literally dying, starving. And God says, okay, now I want you to go where the drought is and go to a widow. And the widows would have been the first people to be cut off. They don't have families, you know. They can take care of themselves. And they would have died. They would have starved. And that's where God tells them to go. You know, sometimes God cuts off the very thing that we've been relying on. He does. That's what he did to Elijah. Elijah was relying on this brook and all of a sudden it's gone. And that happens to us sometimes. Maybe you're there right now. There's been a friend. There's been a money. There's been a job that you've been relying on and all of a sudden it's gone. And you're like, how the heck am I going to make it through? How the heck am I going to make it through this? I don't know if I can can go even any farther because I, I don't have it in me. What, what am I going to do? I remember being with a man and 
he had been diagnosed with cancer, and the treatments had been going really well. Things have been going through. He's going through his radiation, going through his chemo. But then he got to the very last treatment, and he physically could not do it. He couldn't get himself up out of the couch. And I remember going and sitting over the top with him, and he's been, you know, cancer's hard enough. But now he can't even physically go and get more treatment. This thing that he was relying on. And I remember praying with him, and we read the scriptures, and I don't, what am I going to say? Because he's cut off from this thing that he needs the most. Seemed right. And God tells Elijah to go to a widow to ask her for food. For a handout from a widow. Is that where you would go if you're hungry? Sometimes God makes things even harder for us. The drought gets worse. So he goes to this widow. He's obedient. And I want to show you this map so you can see where Zarephath is. That's way up north in enemy territory, right? So he's going there farther closer to where Jezebel raved, right? Inside him. And things are not good. But, but he goes. He says, okay, I'm going to do it, God. And he goes to this widow and he finds this woman out there. And she's gathering a bunch of sticks. She's gathering a bunch of sticks. And, and he says, I think he was kind of nervous. Because at first he, he just says, um, could you give me a cup of water? It's the first question. Yes. Can you just give me a little bit of water? And as she turns to get him some water, he says, oh, oh, by the way, can you make me a little bit of bread? Can I just have a little piece of bread? She turns and lays into him. She says, do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm gathering sticks so I can go home and cook our last meal for me and my son. She had a son. So that we can die in peace. I don't have any bread to give you. And Elijah says, just, just go. Just go eat. If you have a little bit to make a meal tonight, make me a little bit of bread and make some for you and your son. Just do it. And and she does it. This woman who didn't believe in God, she was a a Baal worshiper probably. She was inside her. She wasn't part of the people of God, but she says, okay, I'll do it. She goes and makes him some bread. All she had was a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And she goes to bake that bread. And she makes the bread and there's enough. And then she goes back the next day and there's enough flour and oil for the next day and the next day. And they do this day after day after day with this little bit of flour and a little bit of oil that she said was going to be their last meal before they die. goes on for months and months and months. Pretty amazing, right? God supplied Elijah and this woman and her son again. This isn't even a woman or, or, or a child that belongs to God. But God says, no, I'm going to supply them too. In this drought, God supplied again. Now, I heard a story um, from Corey Ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place. You know, she was arrested because she and her family they were Dutch and they were hiding Jews during the Holocaust. They were Christians and they believed it was their duty to protect them. So she and her family got arrested and she was with her sister. Um, and they were in the prison camp. So her, her sister Betsy got sick, got a fever, and a cough. And they had this little tiny bottle of medicine. And Corey's like, okay, well, this is all we have. So she, every night, would give her just a little drop of that medicine. So that hopefully Betsy would make it another day. Make it another day. Well, it didn't just, that sickness didn't just stay with Betsy. It, it happened to some other prisoners. They got sick, they got the cough. They got sick. They were doing worse. Fever was worse. 
So it started then with 5, then 10, then 15, and there was 25 people in their prison camp that were sick. And she would go with this little bottle every evening and pour a little drop on their little piece of bread that they were rationing. And she did this night after night after night. And, and she thought, for sure that this bottle's going to run out. It was a dark brown bottle. They couldn't really see through the thick glass. But every night, they kept putting a little drop on it. And I, she said that she talked with her sister one night, and she said, how is this happening? And her sister said, hey, there's this story from the Bible about this woman in Zarephath. And she tells this story to Corey. She was still confused, and she's like, how is this happening? Is there something like... When, when the, the little drop of medicine comes out into the air, does it expand somehow? You know, is that what's going on? And, and her sister said this to her. Her sister Betsy said, Don't try too hard to explain it, Corey. Just accept it as a surprise from a father who loves you. What's amazing was the next day, a new prisoner came into camp and he had a whole bunch of medicine. He brought a whole bunch with him. And she said, Corey decided, No, before we use the new medicine, let's finish off this last bottle. She went to go take it, and there was no drops left. God had somehow made that medicine last and last and last. Even though this was a harder situation, things got even harder. You know, when I was with that man, and, and he couldn't finish his last treatment, we prayed and we read the Bible, and, you know, everybody was praying for this man. And, and a week later, he was able to get up and go finish his treatment. And his cancer went into remission, and it still is in remission. It's amazing that when God takes away those things we're relying on, that we need, He suddenly provides us with more to make us make it through. And if that's as hard as things got for Elijah, that would be a good story too, right? But things get even harder, as they do sometimes for our life. Okay, God's made it harder with me. Supplied us, we have what we need, we make it for a few more days or weeks or years, and then it gets harder again and harder again, and that's what happens here. In verse 17, what's, what happens now is that this woman, her son, it's her only son, she's a widow, her husband is gone, her son becomes sick. And he becomes very ill, and he gets to the point where he suddenly stops breathing. He's dead. And this woman comes up to Elijah in verse 18, and I imagine she's even angrier. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? She said, Is this because God hates me? Are you just here to punish me? Even though she had been supplied way beyond what she expected, now she realizes her son is dead and She's like, I guess this is punishment for all the things I've done. God has now killed my son. And I can just imagine Elijah thinking, God, what the heck are you doing? You sent me out in the desert, into a ravine to be cut off from everything, to be fed by birds, and then you cut off even the brook that I was relying on. So I go to this widow, and, and you supply this miraculous God, but why the heck would you do this now? Why, God? Why would you do this? And, and I think that this is the moment that's so important in this story. I think this is the moment that's so important, because every other time in this story, God had told Elijah what to do. 
God had told Elijah, go out into the ravine and I'll supply you with the bread and the meat from the ravens. I'll give you the bread. And, and when he had to go to Zarephath, God told him, go talk to that widow and ask her and she'll give you the food you need. But there is no word from God here at this point of the story. Nothing. There's no voice from God. Because sometimes we're like, man, God, just tell me what to do. You've been there? God, tell me anything. How am I going to make it through this? Death is now here. The worst possible thing that they can imagine in the drought has come about. What are they going to do? In verse 20, it says, Then Elijah cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. He didn't have a word from God about what to do. He had no idea. So he cries out to God. God, help. I don't know what to do. Just help me. Help this boy. And in verse 22, it says, The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Now this is the first time in the Bible where there's somebody coming back to life. So there is no pattern. There is no expectation for this to happen. Elijah had no idea what to do, right? He wasn't expecting this. He had no word from God about what to do next. And yet still he knew somehow what to do. And I think that's the most important point in this story. I think that's the most important part of the story. Because now in verse 24, after this boy has returned to life, after this widow has now seen it, she says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. She comes to faith. She believes. She realizes this is a prophet. Not just Elijah the Tishbite. Some random person. This is a man of God. And the reason why Elijah now is a man of God and knows what to do in this situation, knows to cry out to the Lord and ask for any help, is because he learned it in the drought, right? So when we ask, well, how did Elijah become this man of God, this great prophet that we still remember today? It's because he learned to depend on God in the drought. He had these difficult situations, which God seemed to make worse and worse and worse. And throughout all of it, he just trusted God. One step, and then the next, and God supplied him. And his trust grew, his dependence grew, he learned even more, and then he became the person that God was creating him to be. So here's our big idea today. Now you can fill in the hole. Here's our big idea. A man or woman of God is made when they learn to depend on God in the drought. If you want to be the person who stands up in difficult situations like Elijah was able to do, and we're going to see him next week have an amazing confrontation with the king, with King Ahab. He knows what to do then. He knows what to do with this dead child because he's learned to depend on God in the darkest, most difficult time that he's ever experienced. Not just nationally, but personally. But personally. He went through all that and God was training him to be this man of God. So if you want to be the woman of God, if you want to be the man of God, you have to learn to depend on God in the drought. It's in those circumstances, it's in the crucible that character is formed. Malcolm Gladwell in his book David and Goliath studied concepts like this and, and he talked about a, a concept called desirable difficulties. Uh, two psychologists at UCLA had coined that term because sometimes there are these difficult things in our life that actually make us stronger, right? 
that help us grow and become the person we're supposed to be. And that's what happens here with Elijah. Helen Keller once said that character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. It's only through all those difficult situations where Elijah then could come to the point where he knows what to do without having the instructions. He didn't need directions. He knew to cry out to God. And God was there again. He had learned that dependence. He had learned that strength. We need to learn that, don't we? I think that's so difficult. Some of us are in those drought right now, right? We're in the difficult circumstances. We're dealing with the sickness. We're in need. We're financially struggling. But God is trying to teach us right now through, through that something that we're going to need on the other end. He's trying to train us, to mature us, to build character inside of us. He's trying to teach us to rely on Him at all times. And that's what Paul learned when he said, my grace is sufficient for you. He learned that from Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. Or when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need God at all times, right? So when we're having those difficult circumstances, we need to develop this dependence like Elijah did. So we know what to do when it's our time to stand up. And what's amazing is that our Savior Jesus, who we learn to look to when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, was someone who was human just like us. And he experienced all the physical, all the emotional turmoil that we do. In fact, he experienced the physical hunger too. He went for 40 days in the desert too, without eating. He learned what it was like to watch his friend Lazarus die. He felt that deeply. And then at the end, when he was at his worst time, his friends abandoned him. His nation turned against him. And even he felt God forsaken. But he did that so he could help us when we feel it. Because when he did die on the cross, he didn't stay dead. You know, this points us forward to the even greater resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he offers that forgiveness and resurrection to us as well. And he said, that power that I have, you can have. The strength I've developed, you can share. You might be weak, but I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, it's not that you become strong in spite of your circumstances. because of your circumstances, right? That's what happened to Elijah here. And that's what we need to learn. Like it says in Romans 8.28, In all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He uses these difficult situations in our lives for a purpose. What's amazing is that um, Betsy Tenboom, who was the, the sister of Corey, she said, We must tell people what we have learned here. This was in the prison camp. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. She said this, They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. When we go through these difficult situations, these circumstances, these tragedies, God is making us into the men and women of God if we learn to depend on Him. So some of you are there right now. You're like, man, I haven't made it to the end. I'm suffering right now. I'm struggling financially. I'm struggling emotionally, physically, health-wise. Friends have abandoned me. The thing that I've been counting on is gone. You're right there. And I challenge you to learn to depend on God now. Because it will form you into an even greater man, a greater woman. And God will use you for great things, just like He did with Elijah. So, we're going to have a couple more songs here. 
But really, I want you to just take this on time, even if you don't sing with us. I want your heart to cry out to God. That's what Elijah did. He cried out to God when he didn't know what to do. He cried out, God help me. God help this boy. So I want us to all cry out to God, whether it's through singing or just with our soul and a prayer. I want us to cry out to God in this time. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we read these stories and, and they happened so long ago and, and we don't have the ravens, we don't have the miraculous olive oil. But Lord God, I, I pray that you would teach each one of us what you taught Elijah to rely on you. And for the person who's struggling right now, they're in the drought. I pray that you supply them the food, the water they need to get through today. Give us this day our daily bread. For the person who needs the strength to make it through one more day because they feel like everything has been cut off, they've been cut off, Lord, I pray that you provide for them. And Lord, I pray that we would learn. For some of us, we're past that time and we've learned how good you are, that you supply our needs, that you can give us what we need at all times. I pray that we would learn that and keep that so that when we come to the times that we need it the most, we will be ready to help others, to stand up, to do great things for you. Lord, teach us to depend on you at all times, like you taught Elijah. Amen.